Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 160 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to start this episode by acknowledging the passing this week of former guest of the We Have Cancer podcast, Pat Beauregard. Pat succumbed to colorectal cancer at the very young age of 32 years old, leaving behind his wife, Amanda, and their newborn son, Noah. Pat, along with his oncologist, Dr. Kimmy Eng, appeared on the We Have Cancer show back at episode 118, where they talked about their doctor-patient relationship and, at the time, the opening of the Young Onset Colorectal Cancer Center at the Daner-Farber Cancer Center in Boston, Massachusetts. We send tender thoughts to Amanda and hope that Pat's memory will be a blessing to all who knew and loved him. May he rest in peace. My guest this week is Heather Von St. James. Heather is the first guest of the We Have Cancer podcast who is a mesothelioma survivor. And Heather's fascinating story includes being diagnosed at a very young age, in her 30s, with stage 4 mesothelioma 15 years ago, back in 2005. And she talks about how she learned of her diagnosis, how her and her medical team figured out how she acquired mesothelioma, which is an interesting story unto itself, and how she's living a full life despite losing a complete uh, one of her lungs to the disease. You can learn more about Heather's story by visiting mesothelioma.com forward slash Heather. And you can follow Heather on social media, both on Instagram and Twitter, at Heather VSJ, which obviously follows her last name, Von St. James. And she's also on Facebook at Heather Von St. James. So join me now for my conversation with Heather. Heather, welcome to We Have Cancer. I really appreciate you offering to join us and share your inspiring story. And uh, the first thing I did when I you know, looked into you and your story was I watched the video on the mesothelioma website. And the first thing you talk about is your daughter, Lily. Tell us what Lily's meant to you during your cancer experience over the last 15 years. Well, she was my reason. You know, it, it was, she was why I fight and why I fought so hard. She was three months old when I was diagnosed and uh, six month old when I had my surgery. And so I had my left lung removed on February 2nd, 2006. And so I missed her entire six month of life. 
And I watched her grow and change during that important six month through photos. And this was 15 years ago before Facebook, you know, before texting pictures. My mom had borrowed a digital camera and would take pictures and upload them to email and email them to me. And then my husband would print these off at an office at the hospital and then bring me these black and white, like photocopy pictures of my daughter. And that's how I watched her grow through that six month, watched her first, you know, sitting up and her crawling. And I knew I had to get through that for her. And she just turned 15. So it's been, you know, it's been awesome. And it's so great to be here for it. So I got to ask, do you still feel the same way now that she's a teenager? <laughs> well, there are days. There are no. I, I, we have a really, really great relationship. And she knows that I fought hard to be here for her. And she, she's like, thanks. You know, thanks for giving up your lung for me. And then she tells people, yeah, I saved my mom's life. You know, <laughs> she's, she's pretty cool about it. So. so was it your husband that was her caregiver while you were going through all this? So while I was in Boston having my surgery, she lived with my mom and dad. And then I flew out there after my surgery and stayed there for three more months. And so it was my mom and dad primarily in, those, in the beginning. And then it was my husband when I was going through chemo and radiation. And we had a lot of help from friends and family. But yeah, my husband shouldered a majority of the burden of the work. So he went from being, you know, partner and, you know, dad to being like 100% caregiver for me and the baby. I, I was going to, that was going to be my next question is, you know, how did he manage that? You know, uh, your first child, your brand new baby, and you've got what you've got going on with cancer. How did he, how did Cameron get through that? You know, he's, he's, incredibly passionate and strong-minded and when he sets his mind to something there's nothing that stops him and you know he's like I gotta get through this I, I gotta do this I gotta do this for my wife and my kid and, and he just really stuck to it and and he did great and he was able to I don't know how he did it but he worked full-time and you know got up with her in the middle of the night and you know, took care of me when I was so sick and, you know, and it was incredible. His family really did step in and help a lot, though. His sisters and his mom were great. So it was good to have them here and, and have them close by. So oh, I'm sure that, sure that made a world of difference. Yeah. So you are the first on We Have Cancer who has been through mesothelioma. Not everybody knows what that is. Tell us. Mesothelioma or mesothelioma, however you want to pronounce it, there's really no like correct way. I say mesothelioma is a cancer of the lining of your organs or the mesothelian. Mine happen to be plural or around my lung. And there's two other types, pericardial, which is the lining of the heart and peritoneal, which is the lining of the belly. And the lining of the heart is the most rare. The lining of the belly is, is rare as well. And then the plural is the most common, but it's still considered a rare cancer because only 3,000 people a year or so are diagnosed. And the unique thing about mesothelioma is it's usually always caused by asbestos exposure. As anybody who knows the commercials, you know, if you or a loved one has been diagnosed. So right. that's exactly, I was exposed to asbestos as a child. Um, through my dad's work clothes. And um, 30 years later, I ended up getting sick because there's an incredibly long latency period 
from exposure to the toxic substance till onset of symptoms and diagnosis. So about 30 years. When did you realize something wasn't right with you? You know, I only gained five pounds through the whole pregnancy, which hindsight 2020 um, was like, oh, there was something wrong with me. I should have gained more weight, but I didn't. And my doctor's like, oh, you know, you're probably eating healthier and, you know, the baby's growing fine. So I'm not that worried about it. And so she wasn't worried about it. So I wasn't. And then upon leaving the hospital, I ended up having a C-section. And when I checked out, they're like, you know, you're a little anemic. You might want to check on that in a couple weeks just to make sure, you know, your blood. They thought it was from the C-section. So like, you know, make sure everything's returning back to normal. And I never got better. I kept getting more and more anemic and more and more tired and fatigued like I had never felt before. But I had a new baby and I was up with her at night and feeding her and, and I kept losing weight you know, like five pounds a week. But people told me, oh, you're breastfeeding and it's a great way to lose weight. So it's like, oh, okay, it's all postpartum. I'd never had a baby before, so I didn't know. And, but then like mid-October, a truck parked on my chest is what I say, and I couldn't breathe. And the only time I could breathe is if I bent over and then I could finally go (gasps) and take a deep breath. But once I stood back up, it was the shallow, like gaspy breath again. And what scared me into action was I went downstairs to get laundry out of our our, um, washer and dryer in the basement. And I walked halfway up the stairs and was like literally gasping for air. And I was like, wow, I'm I'm really out of breath. And then I got to the top of the stairs and I was gasping for air again. And I dragged this laundry basket into the living room and Lily was in her swing and I passed out. And I woke up about an hour later scared because then Lily was kind of fussing in her swing and and I was quite freaked out about it and I called my husband like you got to come home there's something wrong and I called my doctor and immediately got in and it was just kind of dominoes falling after that point so how long did it take to arrive at the diagnosis Heather it was about two weeks which is incredibly fast for a mesothelioma so I'm very very fortunate that I had doctors who were looking for something because they knew that what I was experiencing was not normal. And so, and then they sent the pathology off to the right places to get the right answers. So yeah, I'm I'm very fortunate that it was as quick as it was, but they'd never heard of anybody my age being diagnosed with it before. So they were, they were totally blown away. So did did you make the family connection when you got the diagnosis? It was my doctor who asked me, he said, he's, when he was telling me the news, telling my husband and I the news, he said, did your dad ever work in a mine or around construction of some sort? I was like, well, yeah, my dad did, dad did construction and demolition and drywall and concrete and stuff the whole time I was growing up. He's like, okay, because you have a cancer that was caused by asbestos exposure. And my husband's over here going, whoa, that's, this is bad. And I'm like, okay, what do I do about it? You know, I I was just like, all right, okay, so I've got this cancer. Tell me what I need to do. So yeah, it was, it was my doctor who made the, connected the dots, so to speak. Has your dad had effects as well? My father actually passed away seven years ago Mm -hmm. from renal carcinoma, clear cell renal carcinoma. 
which I'm not convinced wasn't caused by the asbestos exposure because asbestos exposure can cause kidney cancer. Um, we never had a, you know, nothing done, an autopsy or anything, but we're probably, you know, convinced that it was caused by that. We're the only two people in our whole family to ever have cancer wow. for years. And you were told initially you had 15 months. Yep. And I'm looking at the calendar and I'm like, I see 15, but I don't see months after it. I see years. <laughs> How did that happen? Uh, incredibly, incredibly good doctors, um, really good medical intervention, a lot of prayer and just sheer dumb luck and not willing to give up, you know, um, a mishmash of a lot of things. Uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to get referred to the world's leading specialist in the disease in Boston, Dr. David Sugarbaker, who has since then passed away as well. Oh. Yeah, he passed away two years ago, which was almost as hard as losing my dad, to be honest with you. I get it, yeah. But uh, so I, I was able to get to Boston to the world's leading specialist and got the best care, was diagnosed early, had very aggressive treatment. I lost my left lung, so I've lived last 15 years with one lung, a very aggressive chemotherapy and radiation. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I say I'm one of the lucky ones, you know, so, and, but I just knew that there was a reason and that I wanted to do something with it. it wasn't just living. I wanted to be an example and, a, and like a beacon of hope which is why I have a lighthouse tattoo. Ah, I was going to so, ask you about your tattoos. Yeah. That yeah. is awesome. That, 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 is that a half sleeve or a full sleeve? A half. A half. half. Yep. So our listeners can't see it, but it goes no. from Heather's shoulder down to her elbow, and it's a, a wonderful-looking uh, lighthouse that covers mm -hmm. the entire length from the shoulder to the elbow, and I see some light beaming yep. off of it. That's, you know. Yep. Yeah. I've I've got a, a couple myself, and and I think you and I are kind of in the same place. We get things that are meaningful. Yeah, yeah, Wait, I got them yeah. all over. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about those later. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. So the diagnosis, Heather, and you were you know told fifteen months. That was prior to meeting Dr. Sugarbaker? Yeah, yeah. So we're sitting in the doctor's office here in St. Paul, Minnesota. And he looks at me and he says, without treatment, you have 15 months to live. And I just looked at him and I, I said, no. <gasps> I, I frankly said, no, that's not an adequate answer. What else do you have for me? And he's like, well, you can do chemotherapy and radiation. And if you're lucky, you'll live five years. And I was like, no, I have a new baby at home. I need to raise her. Give me another option. And he's like, well, there's this doctor in Boston who's doing this really aggressive surgery. And with that, you probably could live 10 years. And my husband's like, get us to Boston. That I didn't even have a chance to speak. He's like, no, but get us there. And because we figured if we could get 10 years, by then treatments might be better. And if it were to come back, we could hit it again and again and just kind of try to keep ahead of it. And that's been kind of my philosophy this whole time is just stay one step ahead of it. And, you know, my, the gamble turned out great. And so 
12 days later, we were in Boston meeting Dr. Sugarbaker to see if I was a candidate for the extra pleural pneumonectomy. And um, I was a perfect candidate. And then I had the surgery set up for February 2nd. What's different about the treatment option that he provided you that others didn't? Knowledge, for one. He'd been treating this disease since the 80s. And doctors here at the Mayo at the time and at the University of Minnesota didn't have as much of a handle on the disease and were measuring survival in weeks and months, not years like Dr. Sugarbaker was. And that was vital to me because I wanted to raise my daughter, you know, and I wanted to be here with my husband. So that's, that's the gamble that we took. What made his, his treatment protocol so much more aggressive versus what others were offering? He does like, well, 15 years ago, 14 and a half years ago, it was removing the entire lung, which, you know, some would say is really aggressive. <laughs> it's one of, of the biggest surgeries there is, you know. So what they did is they removed my lung, the lining of the lung, the lining around my heart, the left half of my diaphragm and a couple of my ribs. And then during the surgery, they pump in heated chemotherapy, um, which they do a lot in stomach cancers. But he does that in the lung cavity as well. And I really attribute that to my longevity. Um, so that goes in and kills everything off that is, you know, not being able to be seen. And they pump it back out and close you up and send you on your way. So that and then when I was diagnosed about a year before a new treatment had just been approved by the FDA called Olympta or Pemetrexid. So I was able to get a newly approved chemotherapy agent, which has proved a fantastic advancement with the treatment of mesothelioma. How long did you have to go through chemo? I went through four sessions. So it was every three weeks. So it was like three months worth. So I was up four months worth. I can't even, it's been so I don't remember. Chemo. <laughs> Somewhere <brain>. there. <laughs> I had four sessions every three weeks. Gotcha. So yeah. And fast forward to today, Heather, how's your health? You know, it's good. I'm very cautious. Like I basically haven't left my home since March because of COVID-19 going on right now. Um, but I'm very cautious. My health is good. I do have some residual things that happened as a result of the radiation. I have extensive nerve damage in my left side from the radiation. Like my voice is weird because I have a paralyzed vocal cord that I have to get surgery on every couple of years. Um, they do like some weird like injection thing and it's getting to be time to do that again. My left arm is completely numb and I've lost all feeling in my hand um, because of nerve damage. And that started happening about two and a half years after surgery. So they're attributing that to radiation damage. So, but. And what impact is it on your, you know, day-to-day -day life being left with just the one lung? You know, it's, it's, I, I don't have the stamina I used to. I had to say I was a salon owner and I miss being in the salon a lot, but there was no way that I could stand behind the chair like, you know, I used to and, and work behind the chair with all those chemicals and everything. I get tired easily. I get winded pretty easily, like going upstairs or inclines. I get pretty winded easily. I can go really good for like a couple of days. And then by the third day, I'm like, oh, geez, I need like a day of rest. And so it's kind of this up and down. Um, if I don't watch myself, if I'm going really hard, I just try to take a break every day and lay down for like an hour. And then I do pretty good, but I'm not able to work because I just, I don't have the stamina that I used to. So I just 
do what I can with advocacy stuff and fill my time that way. So let's talk about that. Tell us about uh, the, the amazing work that you're doing with, you, you know, advocating for your disease. So I started writing a blog about seven, eight years ago. I guess it's been 2012. I started writing a blog at mesothelioma.com, which I actually haven't written for a while because I've been doing so much advocacy work. And through that blog, I've gotten to know some really amazing people. And I've guest blogged on like the Huffington Post. Um, I had cancer, the cancer, like there's another like cancer club or something like that. I've appeared in a Greenpeace campaign for environment um, because of the administration wanting to legalize asbestos again. And I do a lot of work in DC advocating for rare diseases and for um, the banning of asbestos. So I do advocacy by helping other patients. I talk on the phone to other patients all the time. Um, just talked to a new one today. And I'm just kind of an open book. Anybody who wants to call me can. Um, and I'm happy to help them through through the diagnosis and through the, the emergency. Like I said, I talk to people in their like scariest time of their life. And then you know, try to help them walk through that and get them the resources that they need. And I volunteer with a nonprofit called the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation. And I am a co-chair of a community advisory board through them. And uh, so a lot of my advocacy work is is through mesothelioma.com and the Mesothelioma Foundation. So those are my, my kind of babies that I do. So... How do people react when you have these conversations and they find out that this happened to you almost 15 years ago? <laughs> Most people look at me and they're like, oh, my God, I would never know. You know, if, if they don't know my history, they're, they're shocked to, you know, to hear what I've been through. But when I talk to other patients, they're like, oh, my God, you give me so much hope. And actually, the woman I talked today to today is a new mom as well. She's 36, has a new baby at home, exactly the same story as me 15 years ago. And um, so I was able to talk to her today and, and hopefully instill in her a little bit of fighting spirit to see that it's okay. You know, what you're going through is okay and you will get through it and, and hopefully to inspire her a little bit. And that's what I feel like my purpose is. And that's the story behind the lighthouse. My dad told me I would be a beacon of hope that I would be a lighthouse for people. And so that's why I got that for him. Makes perfect sense. Yep. You talk a lot about how you believe your attitude has played a role in your survival. Talk about that. I have always been a person who's been accused of wearing, you know, rose colored glasses and seeing the glasses half full, you know, the optimist, which has actually served me quite well in life. And I just, I never, took the prognosis or the death sentence as the prognosis. It's like, no, that's, that's not the answer. I was more determined than anything to beat it and, and prove these doctors wrong. And being positive and then kind of poking fun at things, I nicknamed my tumor Puxatani Phil because he came out on Groundhog's Day. You know, it's like, okay, doc, tell me if the tumor sees its shadow. You know, what's up then? And they got a big chuckle out of that. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's stuff like that. And then we nicknamed the day that I had my surgery. My sister nicknamed the day Lung Leaving Day, the day my lung left. <laughs> so 
So we use humor a lot and that's how we've always done it. You know, it's like make fun of it and then it takes the fear away. And so Long Leaving Day has actually become a huge holiday in our household and amongst our friends and family. And we celebrate it every year. And a few years ago, we turned it into a fundraiser for mesothelioma. So we celebrate with, you know, a hundred of our closest friends at our house. And it's in February in Minnesota. <laughs> and the main thing about this party is you write your fears on a plate. And then you take this plate to a bonfire in our backyard and you smash it in the bonfire. So you're smashing your fears. So it's this incredibly cathartic and, you know, like celebratory thing that we do every year. And it started out just me and my husband in the backyard on February 2nd. It was 17 below. And we, you know, I sat down to write my fears and they just started pouring out because I didn't, I'd kept everything in for a year. And, you know, we just, we wrote down our fears and we broke them in the fire. And we both looked at each other. It was like, that felt so good. We got to do, we got to share this. And so the next year there was like 40 people and then it just started growing and growing and growing. And today we've raised, I want to say 35 to $40,000 for mesothelioma research and travel grants for the Miso Foundation. So it's That's been, yeah. So yeah, sense of humor, positive, and just wanting to help people, you know, and, and I really think a positive mindset does a lot and then just saying, I'm going to beat this, I'm going to beat this. And, you know, even I have friends who are like really, really sick and even in the hospice and they're still positive. They're like, you know, it's okay. You know, and it's, it's, to me, that's inspiring. And that's so brave too. So, cause not everybody wins the battle as you well know. Sure. And there's that side of it that, that tampers, you know, the, the silliness too, but sure. It kind of balances everything. Does the list of fears get shorter each year? Yeah, it gets shorter, but it changes. Sure. You know, it used to be concentrated mainly on like the cancer. And now it's like different fears. You know, I think, I think every year brings up something different. So. So speaking of a day, you know, all of our diseases, uh, my colon cancer, you either have a day, you have a month, you have a color, you have a color. Does does mesothelioma have a color, by the way? We do. It's blue. It's It's a blue blue. color. I don't know if I have a bracelet in here or not. That's Um, what what colon cancer is. Yeah, that's what I thought. Royal blue. Oh, see, we're like a, like a powdery. Well, not really, but it's like a blue, like a, I don't know. It's like blue. Blue. Just blue. blue. It's nondescript <laughs> blue. So, and you know, we're recording this in August, but the episode is going to come out in September. And there, uh, besides Lung Leaving Day, there's another day coming up uh, in terms of mesothelioma. Tell us about. Yes, yeah, September 26th is Mesothelioma Awareness Day, and that is a day that everybody in the community kind of like comes together and and we wear blue and we post it online and and try to tell people about our stories with mesothelium and make people aware of it, that it's not just a commercial on TV, that it is a a deadly rare disease that affects many people. And so, yeah, it's kind of a way that, that we try to bring awareness to it. And I used to go to fundraisers all month long, all over the country. There's like a kayaking fundraiser called Kayaking for Miso. There's a music thing here in Minneapolis called Music for Miso. There's golf tournaments all over. There's races all over. And, but this year everything's virtual. Yeah. So I'll be grabbing my paddleboard and doing some virtual paddling for the kayaking for me. So, and stuff like that. So just bringing awareness and trying to raise money. 
Is there a website or anything like that where people can go to to, to make donations? Uh, CureMiso.org, C-U-R-E-M-E-S-O dot O-R-G. And they have a big thing on there that says donate. I actually have my own fundraising page on there. I have a travel grant that if people want to donate to that, they sure can. So they can look up my name under donate and um, should be able to find it there. And it's just open so anybody can donate. But so we'll... We'll have Donating a link to great. we'll have a link to that on the website at wehavecancer.com. So people aren't going to have a whole lot of time because uh, this episode comes out on Tuesday, September yeah. 22nd, and we're talking about Saturday the 26th. But if you've been inspired by Heather's story, and even more importantly, if you know someone who's been touched by mesothelioma, what a great way to make a difference by visiting curemiso.org, find Heather's page, and we'll have a link to that, like I said, on the website great. so people can support you. Thank you. Yeah, and you feel free to find me on you know Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm not on TikTok. Well, I am on TikTok, but I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> I just watch. Yeah, I, so, I spend most of my time stalking, stalk, I mean, following you on uh, Instagram. <laughs> and my uh -huh. adventures of my animals. Yeah, uh huh. And your hair. So, and my hair. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah I saw yeah. the post. My, the mohawk is back. Yeah. You can take the girl out of the salon, but you can't take the salon out of the girl. Right. So, and, yeah. And as I mentioned in the intro, you can find Heather on Instagram at, at Heather VSJ. Yep. Heather Von St. James. And uh, on Facebook, Facebook as well, uh, under Heather Von St. James. And we'll have links to the various organizations uh, tied to the post as well. Wonderful. Heather, it's been great meeting you, hearing your story. Wish you continued good health to you, your husband, Lily, all good things. Stay safe during this these crazy times. Yeah, you too. And, and I appreciate uh, us being able to get connected, and I hope we'll continue to do so. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. Be well, my friend. Thank you. You too. I want to thank the Colon Cancer Coalition for your longstanding support of the We Have Cancer podcast. As you know, folks, because of COVID-19, all of the uh, charities that typically have, you know, 5K run events, marathons, walks, etc., of all have all had to shut those down because of quarantine, which has dramatically impacted their fundraising efforts. And these funds go to you know, very worthy causes, as is the case for the Colon Cancer Coalition, which has been sponsoring Get Your Rear and Gear run walk events across the country for years. I've done my part in uh, providing some financial support to them because they have been so supportive of the show and more importantly because of the amazing work that the team at the Colon Cancer Coalition does to fund local organizations across the country to uh, help those in need screenings and to do uh, provide research for you know uh, colorectal cancer and finding uh, ways to treat it if you have the means and you or someone you love has been touched by colorectal cancer i know that i would appreciate and they greatly would appreciate any support you can give you can support them by visiting their website at colon cancer 
coalition.org forward slash events. There you'll find all kinds of a, a virtual run walk events. Doesn't matter if there's one scheduled for your city or not. It really doesn't matter your location. But if you have the means to support them, please give. I know that the team there greatly would appreciate it and would I. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.